Second Corinthians chapter number seven. Now last week, and it's in the verse here, but we we were we're going to pray here in a second. But last week in the verse here, let me read the verse. It says for though verse number eight. He says, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. And in the key verse here, verse number 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And we're looking at godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Let's pray. Amen. Now, a little bit of this I'm going to go back over. Not everybody was here last week, but it doesn't. Uh... So in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, Paul's talking about the letter that he wrote in 1 Corinthians where he, he got on to him for several things. If we didn't have the church at Corinth, you know, as bad as they were, if we didn't have the church at Corinth, we wouldn't have had so many, so much instruction given to us today because he had to tell them so much to straighten them out. And, uh, you know, you can be a vessel of good work, a vessel of honor, or you can be a vessel of dishonor there. In, verse, in 1 Corinthians, they were the vessel of dishonor. You're going to teach somebody one way or the other. Um, but he says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Now, that was my jumping off spot, and it is this week. And last week, I'm kind of taking you through time here. And last week, we went and saw King Josiah. He was very close to the end of the kingdom there. After Solomon passed away, the kingdom split. You had Israel and Judah. And then as you read the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, you, you see these different kings that ruled. There were some good, there were some bad, and we looked at Josiah because we're looking at godly sorrow. And I bring these up, even though they're not related, because these are the passages that I think of when I think of godly sorrow. And when we went back and we looked at Josiah, I just kind of wanted you to get the whole feel for where Josiah was. His, his father, his grandfather that was king before him, for 55 years, he was a bad king. He did that which was wrong and the evil in the sight of the Lord. They built idols. They built altars. They built them right in the court of the temple. And they, they built an idol right in the house of God. Now, if you want to spit in God's eyes, there's no better way to do it than to put an idol in the house that God said that he would dwell in. And then Josiah was working with the light that he had. All Josiah knew when he became king when he was young was that it was wrong to be worshiping these other gods. And he began to take all the idols out of the land, and he removed the idol out of the temple, and he removed the, the altars out of the courtyard that were all dedicated to other gods, and all he knew was to clean up. And the lesson here, and the lesson we're going to see today too, is that he was working with the light that God had given him. He was working with the light that he had. And that's one of the important things I want you to remember. When someone gets saved and you say, well, they ain't quite got their life right, have they? And I mean, you should be saved. You should be walking upright. You shouldn't be tripping. You shouldn't be falling. 
You know, we, I just had a grandchild. I don't know if anybody knows it. But, you know, little, little baby Deanna, she's not going to get right up on her feet and just start running. And when she finally does, her mom will probably wish she wouldn't. But, uh, you know, a baby Christian, all he knows is, I was on my way to going to hell. My sin was sending me to hell, and Jesus Christ came, and he died on the cross for my sins. And if he knows any other Bible, he only knows it from a secular sense. He, he knows about Joseph, and he knows about Moses. And let me tell you something. Don't get your doctrine from a cartoon. It'll lead you wrong every time. Get it from the Bible. But they, they only know that little bit, and they know that Jesus saved them. And that's okay as long as they're walking with the light that God gave them. And you'll begin to see them in their life. They'll begin to take those altars out of their lives. You ever seen somebody get saved and it's like, this just isn't right anymore. It'll bring a smile to your face. I, you know, I've been doing, I just can't keep doing this. This is wrong. And you hadn't told them anything. God's beginning to show them things. And that's what we see with Josiah. See, what I love about reading about the kings is, when you see the good and the bad, overall, Israel as a nation, you see the good kings, the bad kings. Let me tell you, I see a Christian life in that, in parallel, kind of in type, you know? Because in the Christian life, there's ups, there's downs. There's times when you're up on the mountain with God like Elijah was, you know, when he was calling down the fire from heaven. There's times when you feel like, there's other times when you feel like you're sitting under the juniper tree just like Elijah. So we see that Josiah was working with the light that he had. And then as he did that, and they cleaned out the temple, he, he tells them to, to clean out the temple, get all of this junk out of the temple. And they're doing that, and they start accounting for the money, and they're only working with what they know to work with. And then one day they're, they're in there, and they're pulling out the junk. And I tell you, when, I first, I, when, when we were working back here, I kind of got that feeling, man. There was a... There was an ark there from 1992 from one of their vacation Bible schools. Big old plywood, you know, stick your head through. And I mean, there was just old stuff here that you don't... There was a, two pianos, and one of them was a squirrel's house. So I kind of get this picture in my head when I see them cleaning up. I'm not being insulting. I mean, it, it, that's just the way it is. It's just been a long time, and things happen like that. Now imagine when they're intentionally pushing God out. I mean, because this was just, they were only able to take care of what they were taking. This is a big place. But uh, they, when they're pushing God out, imagine the trash and imagine the nastiness that is in that place. And they're cleaning it out. And one of the priests goes, to the, goes in, I think he goes into a room. This is the way I see it in my mind. They're pulling away chairs. And <coughs> Here, take this. All oh, this mold's awful. And they take that off. And you get, well, what's this? And there's a scroll back there in a jar. Maybe he opens up the jar and he pulls it out. Oh, look at this. Oh, the Lord said, what? So they start to read it. And he said, man, we've got to show this to the king. And they show it to the king and they read it to him. And as they read it to the king, he comes under conviction. And this is where I'm talking about godly sorrow. Leadeth thee to repentance. You know, when you come to church, I, I was describing it to a friend of mine on the phone this week. I said, you know, sometimes it's hard to listen to preaching. 
it's kind of like there's an electric fence and you've grabbed it before. And you know you're about to do it again on purpose and because <laughs> the word of God gets a hold of you, grabs a hold of you, you know, and it shows you something in your life that needs to change. And here Josiah, he was working with the light that God had given. There was no reason for him to feel guilty, right? Because it said that he sought the Lord God. Turn there. I, the reason I hadn't turned there, because I didn't want to get bogged down, but you can go ahead and turn there. Turn to uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 33. No, 34, chapter 34. And you can kind of look at it if you want. This is a little later in the... Around verse 20 or whatnot. Like I said, I'm not looking at it because I don't want to bog down and re-preach last week's sermon. But you see, Josiah, when they're reading God's word to him, he comes under conviction. And when you look at it from a secular point of view, it's like, why would he be under conviction? He didn't do all these things. Second Chronicles chapter 34. So when the priest is reading it to him, Josiah is hearing about the feasts. Josiah is hearing about the offerings. Josiah is hearing about if you commit adultery, you're worthy of death. Josiah is hearing about if you worship other gods, you're worthy of death. Maybe he's hearing about the problems that Moses had. Maybe he's hearing about what God did to the Israelites when they had the golden calf. Maybe he's hearing about how Moses crushed that golden calf and sprinkled the gold in the water and made them drink it as punishment. Maybe he read about how God was about to destroy him and Moses fell on his face and he interceded for him. And so, Lord, if you, if you kill him now, you know, coming out of Egypt, they'll say that you weren't able to do it, or you know, and he's just interceding. A preacher once said, if God and Moses ever got mad at the same time, there wouldn't be nothing left of them. One time Moses is mad, one time God's mad, you know. Well, more than once, but you get my meaning. So he's reading all the he's reading all of the law and all the things that they're supposed to be doing. And as he's reading this, and I'm adding this, Josiah in his mind is seeing all those altars that were torn down. Josiah in his mind is thinking all those arguments that he had with people who, you're, you know, you're tearing down. This is all extra. This is all outside. This is gathering from different parts of the Bible. Like when Gideon tore down the grove, when he cut down the grove and everyone cried about it. And his dad said, well, you know, if Baal be God, let him fend for himself. You know, let, let him advocate for himself. I think Josiah's sitting there and he's seeing all this go on in his mind and he's like, we are guilty. And I'm going to take you to show you a couple things this morning, and this is where we start our message, or this is where we start. We're going to look at some of the history this morning. I, I, I kind of warned you all ahead of time. I said, this, if we had a Sunday night, this would be a Sunday night message. So if you have a pen and paper, it'd be good to keep this handy if you want to keep track of this, or if you just want the notes. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter number 6. And that's not too far back. You're in Second Chronicles 33, 34. So look at Second Chronicles chapter number 6. Because we're going to time travel today. And if I run out of time, we'll, we'll do it again next week. I don't care. 
I do care. That's why we'll do it next week. Second Chronicles chapter number six and verse number 16. Now to set the stage here, David wanted to build a temple to God. But Nathan told him from God, said, no, there's blood. God told Nathan to tell him, no, there's blood on your hands. You're not able to build a house for me, but your son will be able to do it. So David had begun setting aside all the things for that house to be built. David couldn't be part of the building, but he wanted to be in some way, so he gathered things together for it. And it was Solomon. They call it Solomon's temple. Solomon built the temple, the house to God. This is at the end of all that building. This is without getting caught up in how it all took place and all of that. But right here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, Solomon is making a prayer. And this has always stuck out to me. Because this is right before all these kingdoms, up, down, up, down, right? And this is Solomon praying over the temple. Listen to what he says here in verse number 16. He says, Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep thy servant David my father, which thou hast promised him, saying, There shall not fail a man of thee in the sight, in my sight, to sit upon the throne of Israel. Yet, so that thy children take heed to their way to walk in my law, as thou hast walked before me. So verse number 17, he says, Now then, O Lord God of Israel, lest thy word be verified, which thou hast spoken unto thy servant David, but let, let thy word be, I'm sorry, let thy word be verified, which thou hast spoken unto thy servant David. But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have built. You see, he's praying about the temple. He says, have respect, therefore, to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication. O Lord, my God, to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee. He says in verse 20, that thine eyes may be open upon this house day and night upon the place whereof thou hast said that thou wouldest put thy name there to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth toward this place. He's talking about the temple. Notice the centrality. Is that the right word? Notice the centrality, the focus of his prayer is on the temple. So everything that's said here, Israel's religion is based around the temple just the same as it was based around the tabernacle. And he says, hearken therefore, verse 21, hearken therefore unto the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which thou shalt make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forgive. So Solomon has built the temple, he's dedicated it to the Lord, and now he's making a request. He's blessing the temple in essence. So go down to verse number 36. I said it all aside so we didn't get bogged down in, the, in between. So we have Solomon's prayer to God when he's blessing the temple, and this is important. So verse 36, if they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them over before, thine enemy, before their enemies, and they carry them away captives into a land far off or near. Now, he prays several things in this prayer, and I skipped right over all of them. But one verse, if you want to look back over that, look for when he says, hear thou from heaven. Because 
I mean, that's, that's like a, a, there's some outlines that just write themselves. This would be one of them. But we're not going to do that. I just skipped right to the part that's pertinent. So over in verse 36, he's talking about if they sin against thee. Okay? Now, I'm trying to keep it all in context. You remember Josiah, he's looking back and he's seeing where they've sinned against God. They've sinned against God over and over. He said, if they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not. Interesting that that's added, right? And thou be angry with them and deliver them over before their enemies. And they carry them away captives unto a land far off or near. Yet if they bethink themselves in the land, whither they are carried captive. So this pattern throughout when Solomon's praying First, he prays about the sin that they do. You know, he's praying that when God curses them for not doing right. Okay, when you read back, hear thou from heaven. He says, when they repent, when they turn their face toward this temple, hear thou from heaven. He's asking God to hear their prayer and to forgive them. He said, if they return to thee, verse 38, if they return to thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity whither they have carried them captives and pray toward their land, which thou gavest unto their fathers and toward the city, which thou hast chosen and toward the house, which I have built for thy name. You follow that? They're in a foreign land. They turn, they pray toward the temple and they're because that's the presence of God. They're praying toward the presence of God. He said, then hear thou from heaven, from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications and maintain their cause and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. He said, now, my God, let I beseech thee, thine eyes be open and let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now turn over to chapter number seven. So God, Solomon prays this prayer, and I just kind of cut it off. I, I brought out that one piece of it. It's a great prayer. But in chapter number seven, God comes to Solomon by night. Uh, verse number seven, uh, verse number one, just to grab it real quick. It said, now when Solomon had made an end of prayer, Praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then they offer sacrifices. You see God accepting his prayer right there. He's accepting the offering and he's accepting the temple. The temple was blessed and, and had God's presence there. They weren't even able to go in because of it. So in chapter number, uh, <coughs> uh, let's skip ahead to verse number eight, and then we're going to skip again. And also at the same time, Solomon kept the feast for seven days and all Israel with him and a very great congregation from the entering of Hamath unto the river of Egypt. And in the eighth day, they made a solemn assembly. So go to verse number 12. Now, this is all pretty simple because all we're showing you right here is the importance of the temple in, in the Jewish economy here. In their eyes, the importance of the temple, that's God's dwelling place, okay? This isn't a short one. This is a lesson. 
So verse number 12, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. So here Solomon's getting confirmation that his prayer has been answered. All those prayers, hear thou from heaven, hear thou from heaven. The requirement, you know, they, they fall into sin, and when God, you know, God blows upon the wheat and all this, and all these things, when someone kills someone and they turn toward the heaven, you'll, you'll turn toward the temple. You'll see that when you read that. But God's saying, I accepted all that. I accept all this. <coughs> and have chosen this place from, to myself for an house of sacrifice. He said, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. And here's a verse you probably heard before. Verse number 14, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, you hear a lot of preachers that use that today, and there's truth in it in application as far as when you, you humble yourself, you turn toward God, he'll forgive you. But those spiritual blessings and stuff, understand that dispensationally that's for Israel. He's talking about the temple. He's talking about Israel there. So there's a spiritual application to us, but there's a doctrinal application toward Israel. Right here, the promise is for them. He says, uh, verse 15, Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Now there is a blessing, right? And he says, And as for thee, if thou wilt walk with me, Walk before me as David thy father walked and do according to all that I have commanded thee and shalt observe my statutes and my judgments. And see, there's a condition here. If you'll do this, he said, then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, there shall not fail thee a man to be a ruler in Israel. We know that Jesus Christ is that, that ruler now. Jesus Christ is. So, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, so here's the, there's the blessing, here's the curse. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them. Does that sound familiar in the context of where we are with Josiah? I think maybe Josiah was hearing this. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, he said, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of my land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, will I cast out of my sight and will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. Well, I'm going to take you into the future because we saw Josiah and we saw how he looked back on all the, all the evil that was done and how he got under conviction. And that's in last week's message. But, uh, we're going to jump past all of that to when it's already happened. And we're going to look at Nehemiah. But we'll finish this out. And he says, And this house which is high shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto the land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. 
Therefore hath he brought this evil upon them. All right. So turn back to Second Chronicles. And just stop back in chapter 34 real quick. Second Chronicles chapter 34, and there, there were with Josiah after he hears the word. So verse 23, Josiah sends men to inquire of the prophetess about whether God's going to follow through with what he said he was going to follow through. He, he heard the word of God. He heard what God, the blessing and the curse, and he realizes they're under the curse. He's under, that's why he was tearing his clothes. That's why he was crying out. In verse 23, and she answered them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, tell ye the man that sent me, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah. Now imagine reading all those curses and knowing that they apply. And we're, we're in the context of godly sorrow. We're in the context of the, the king, Josiah, coming under conviction. He said, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched. And then he tells it, uh, and as for the king of Judah, go down to verse 27. He said, because thine heart was tender and thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof and humblest thyself before me and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me. I've even heard thee also, saith the Lord, behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. Now go two chapters over. Because Josiah has just been told that, and I'm not going to cover all the in-between here. We don't have time for that. But you'll see that his sons reigned, but they were one was taken off to Egypt, another one was appointed by the Pharaoh. And, and you just see that it's just nothing's the same as it was. In, verse, in chapter 36, you go to the end there. Uh, go to verse 14, 2 Chronicles 36, chapter, uh, verse 14. And this is finishing up that era. It said, Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. This is after the revival of Josiah. Moreover, all the chief priests... Chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after the, all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. This is after Josiah's revival. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Now think about that in your own life. Think about that in somebody's life you know. They just, you know, they, they get out of God's will, get out of God's will. There was a family member for us. You know, he just, he was saved when he was young, but he just kept going, kept, kept falling out, kept falling out. And just eventually it just got him. And he, he died young. 
Now, I'm not saying God was waiting there for a baseball with a baseball bat, but I'm just saying the consequences of his sin got a hold of him. And uh, he he and eventually died of AIDS. And and uh, let me let me add something to that before I leave it at that because I've got a lot of respect for him because when he was there on his deathbed, when he could because the energy and because the ability to, when he was able. He asked his mom to write a test, his testimony. And when I read that testimony, it was right before his funeral, I just asked her, I said, can I just read this? He preached his own funeral. He said everything that needed to be said at his funeral, when he talked about his own life, when he talked about getting away from God, when he talked about being saved, and he was telling his friends that were there at his funeral in his own words, and uh, I get a little teary-eyed thinking about it. But, you know, there just comes a time. And here with Israel, there was time after time after time, and it had just all added up. There was no remedy for it. And even after Josiah, his sons were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. There's one of, I hadn't figured this out, but there was one of them that was eight years old, didn't, didn't serve as king for two years, but he did everything that was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's like, man, that must have been a mean kid. But uh, so verse number 16, but they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets. You remember a parable that Jesus told about the the king sending, sending his servants? And then he said, perhaps if I send my son, they'll listen to him, but they killed him. This is what he's referring to. God did it time and time. He sent the prophets to him. He tried to warn him. He sent him Jeremiah. They threw him in a pit. They sent him. You know, sent them to different prophets and said, but they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against the people till there was no remedy. Now, there's something to underline. Therefore, he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees who slew their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young man or maiden or old man or him that stooped for age. For he gave them all into his hand. And, and uh, there. It's just, and then, you know, they blame God. So, and they burnt the house of God when they did this and break down the wall of Jerusalem. This is important to remember, verse 19 here. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem, burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword, he carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. Now, you want to know what takes place during Babylon? Read the book of Daniel. He said, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me and hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And then it goes right into the book of Ezra. Now, for your Bible study, know that the book of Ezra is the rebuilding of the temple. It's a spiritual rebuilding. And... uh that the, the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem takes place in Nehemiah. 
And that the temple didn't get finished in the book of Ezra either. It sits there for a long time. I don't know if y'all remember me reading over in Haggai, you know, you live in your sealed houses while my house lays waste. He's telling you, you need to get back and finish what you started. Now turn over to Nehemiah. All of that, this is where the message starts. No, this is all message. This is all good stuff. It's just a little different than three points in a poem, isn't it? Nehemiah chapter number one. So we see how God blessed the temple. We see how God answered Solomon's prayer. And he said, I'll hear the prayers that are made in this place. And I'll hear when people pray toward this place. When I carry them away out of the country and they turn toward me, or when I carry them away from the land and they turn toward me, I'll hear their prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, right? Nehemiah, chapter number one. And I want you to see some godly sorrow here. Verse number one, it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Remember that Babylon came in, and they they tore down the wall, they burnt the walls, they, they tore everything up. And they took them captive into the land of Babylon. And then Persia comes in and takes them from the, per- the Babylonians. And it says, verse number three, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. A lot of time has passed, but Nehemiah is asking, Well, how is Jerusalem? And this just sticks with me over and over again. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And there's some preaching on that. But look what happened to Nehemiah here, verse number four. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, to keep his covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. He knows something of God's word. He says, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. And see, you go back in time and you hear God saying, I'll honor it. If you look over in Jeremiah, and I didn't go there, but he promised that they would be in there. They would be in captivity for 70 years before they could come back to the land because they hadn't been keeping the Jubilee. They, or they hadn't, been, yeah, they hadn't been keeping the year of rest. They were supposed to have a year of rest where they didn't plant crops. They planted full time. They didn't do it. They were worshiping other gods. They weren't worshiping God. They were getting all the production out of that land that they could. Well, God had a reason for it. There was a reason for everything that was done. You can over-farm land. You can get all the nutrients out. I mean, that was a dust bowl. Everybody was growing cotton from, you know, every year. What are you planting this year, cotton? What are you planting this year? Before they knew about crop rotation, one crop would put the, the nutrients back in. 
And then sometimes they let a field lie fallow where they just let the grass grow. And then they plow it up again because now it's got nutrients in it. But they weren't doing that. So God took back all of those, all of those times, all of those Sabbaths of the land, 70 years. And uh, so Nehemiah prays to God. And verse number eight, uh, verse number seven, let's... So verse number six goes down, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. He lumps himself in, okay? He probably didn't have anything to do with it, but he takes responsibility. He says, we have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me, and that's over in Deuteronomy, But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. And he says, Now these are thy servants, thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee... Thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. <clears throat> Nehemiah is under conviction, and he turns to the Lord, and he prays night and day. And his countenance is so sad when he goes in front of the king. The king's never seen him like that. He says, what is this? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And that was a dangerous thing to be sad in front of the king. He could have lost his head. And he says a quick prayer over there in chapter number two, which I call, we call the Nehemiah prayer, right? That's when you're about to face something and you say, Lord, please help me through this. It doesn't have to be dramatic. And God's Holy Spirit dwells with you. He hears your prayers. God's, God's Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf and prays for you when you don't even know what to pray for. Amen. I'm glad of that because there's a lot of times I don't know what to pray for. So... Nehemiah goes before the king, and the king puts him in charge of putting, building the walls back up. That's the thing that he knows is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That's where God had put his name. And he goes, and they begin rebuilding the walls, and there's a whole, whole list of things that happen. And let me tell you something, a lot of it looks like putting a church together. There's, there's people against them. There's people inside against them, stuff like that. I'm not saying that here. I'm just saying it can happen. Wherever you, wherever you have people together, you're going to have problems. You know, my, my, uh, my dad has a ham club. He tells me some of the things. It's like, man, that sounds like church. <laughs> this one wants to do that. This one wants to do this. This young guy wants to do all of this. And these old guys are like, no, we've done that before. We don't want to do that, you know. So go to chapter number eight because that's where we're going to sit. Chapter number 8 of Nehemiah. We're going to skip over all of that because there's something that takes place here, and this looks a whole lot like a church service. So Nehemiah chapter number 8. It says, And all the people, verse number 1, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. 
they've done all of this building and, and you know, against odds, against the odds and against, against the, the people that didn't want it built. You know, there's always somebody against the work. But all of this, they had a sword in one hand, they had a trowel in the other as they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem and, and, and fixed the gates that were burnt with fire. They're putting it all back together. And they reach this point. And they, they gather themselves together to hear God's word. Does this sound familiar to you? Because it sounded a little familiar to me when I thought of Josiah. And this is why I put these two together. They worked with the light that they had. You know, we're rebuilding Jerusalem where God dwelt. You know, we're, we're putting it back together. It says, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe. Now, Ezra, he's the one that wrote the book before over in Ezra, it says that Ezra had prepared himself, prepared his heart to seek the Lord so that he could teach it. He was preparing himself for this day. And uh, if you're going to teach people, I, I recommend getting prepared. All right. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. One of the first things to know about godly sorrow is you got, you got to be listening to hear God speak to you. Amen. And you got to be on purpose. Is there here in a place at a time and they're there ready to hear. And he said, uh, and, and he read therein before the street, before the water gate. All the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Verse number four. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Aniah and Uriah and Hilkiah and Messiah, Messiah. On his right hand and on his left hand, Padiah, and skip down verse number five, not to be rude and ignore God's word, but verse number five, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, you know, spiritually, he's, he's above them physically so that they can hear him. You know, over in England, some of those pulpits are up on the wall, <laughs> and he climbs up into that thing. That's the way it used to be. And, uh, but they didn't have these. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And that's where in some churches, when they open up and they read God's word, the whole church will stand up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their voices. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then it goes on and uh, it names them all. Down to, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. And then verse number eight, this would be a good one to highlight. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And say, well, I don't need no preacher. Well, you know, the, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, when Philip showed up, he said, do you understand what you read? He said, how can I except some man show me? 
I, I was thinking about today, you know. You know how silly it would be to try to start a craft without knowing anything about it, without learning from anybody that's been doing it? I was, uh, I was thinking about these chef shows. You know, they, they get there, and these people have started a restaurant. They have no clue how to run a restaurant, and then they're wondering why they're failing. And Chef Robert comes in, and he's showing them. Just to let you know, I watch the one that doesn't cuss. But uh, Chef Robert shows up, and he's showing them how to do all this. I thought about that. I said, you know, that's because chefs over the years trained other chefs, and that's how they can handle 100 people out there because there, there's a way to do it that makes it work. And here, they're making them understand. Ezra has prepared his heart. I wonder if I can just flip to that. You don't have to. I got highlighted over here. Yeah. Chapter Ezra 7.10, if you want it. said, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord and to do it and to teach, the, teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Now, I found that interesting that Ezra had been preparing for this moment, and here he was. He was ready to tell them all about God's word, and he was ready to open it up to them. They're hearing it for the first time, and he's explaining to them, this is why Moses did this, because of this over here and this, and they're making them understand the sense of the word. We're getting there, verse number 9, and Nehemiah, which is Tirshatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites taught the peop- that taught the people, said unto all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Now, look what happens here. All they've been doing is hearing God's word and getting taught. He says, mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept, wept when they heard the words of the law. You know what scares me as a preacher? I mean, I've read about it, and and there's been times it's gotten close, you know, or there's been times life gets in there, takes over. What, what scares me is becoming professional. Becoming so polished that I can get up here and I can teach y'all and God's word not touch me at all. You know, God will still use his word. It'll still go forth. I talked to a man one time and uh, he had fallen, basically. He, he said, I was a preacher. He said, uh, I was going to the jails and man, people were getting saved. He said, uh, and then I would go meet my girlfriend. That's not really a problem, except that your wife's on the other side of town. He said, you know, and that'll, people still getting saved. God was still using his word, but my life was falling apart. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's one thing I, I don't want to have. I, I, I want God's word to touch me. And out there in the pew... That's my prayer, is that God's word touch you, because it can happen to you too. There's people that go to church. They go to church every Sunday. And this is where this came from. Godly sorrow leadeth thee to repentance, not to be repented of. When God's word touches you, you know, when you're really out of God's will, it's like, oh, it's like grabbing that electric fence. I don't know. I know it's going to hurt. And they'll just start falling out of church, things like that. Look, if y'all think I came here to preach on attendance, I understand when you got to work. You know, I'm one of them mealy mouth preachers. I got to clarify. I don't want you to get mad and then not come at all. You know, it's like I say about the Bible, the worst ones, the one you don't read. I don't want you to fall out of church. I don't want you to get away from God. You get in a bind sometime, you know, but as God deals with you, whatever. 
It's between you and the Lord. But, but I'm telling you in my own life, I want that conviction. But sometimes it's a little hard to reach over there and grab it because you know it's going to hurt. I listen to some of my favorite preachers, and it's like, oh, oh. You know, and I'm trying to work, and it's like, well, I got to work, you know. And it's an excuse to turn it off and go on with what I'm doing. But, you know, God's, it's God's word that convicts. It's not the, hey, we're going to church. It's not the, that's, that's why attendance isn't so important. It's are you in God's word? Are you in prayer? It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what's important. They say, well, a church is just a building. Yeah, it is. It's where we go. It's what we've set aside. Here they set aside the middle of the street. Here we set aside a building to meet, you know. But it's, are you hearing God's word? Is he speaking to you? I know somebody, they just read a devotional every day, but it gets them in God's word every single day. And it has reinforced them. It's helped them to grow in their life. I've seen it. And, and I love it, you know, because I know where it was before. I know where it is now. And it's because of God's word that gets in there every day and keeps them, keeps them going. And that leads me to the next part. Look what he said. He said, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, the purpose of digging in your pea patch or, you know, getting up in your corn or getting up in your chili, whatever you want to call it, this catchy. The purpose, I'm not reading your email or anything like that, but if God gets a hold of you in a service, if God's word speaks to you, just let God's word speak to you. You know, don't mourn about it. Don't get upset. It's, a, it's set aside to the Lord. It's like, okay, Lord, what will you have me to do? And then that's the hard part is what's next. Because there's, there's the work, the work that Ezra put in, the work that the people put in, and then God begins to open up his word to them, right? And the last part, there's a willingness on their behalf. And he said, Neither be you sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'm going to take you to one. I, I don't care. We'll finish this sermon out. Y'all with me? All right. So, and then he said, on, uh, for this day is holy under our Lord. Neither be you sorry, for the Lord, joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levi stilled all the people, saying, hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be you grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions in other words, they shared their food and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. There's something joyful about understanding God's word. And on the second day, they were gathered together, the chief of the fathers, the priests, and the Levites, even to understand the words of the law. <clears throat> now look what happens here. Verse number 14. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mountain, fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths or tents, as it is written. So the people went forth. So there's not only the work that goes into it, working with the sight that God has given you. God has shown you something. What are you doing with it? And as you begin to do that, then God opens up a little more to you. And then 
there has to be a willingness to do what God has showed you. And they were willing to do that. So when they saw that they'd been missing the Feast of Boots, they said, we're going to do this. And it says, so the people went forth and brought them and made themselves boots, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ethram. And all the congregation of them that were coming again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was a very great gladness. Let me tell you something. There's joy in doing God's word. And I'm going to take you one more place. I don't know. I could just do a sermon on it next week. It's a little bit different, and it stands on its own. But I just kind of want to share this with y'all. Y'all remember the road to Emmaus? Turn to Luke chapter 24, because I want to complete this time travel trip. Luke chapter 24. It's not necessarily related, but there's something that changes just a little bit. We no longer look back to the temple. We no longer look back to Jerusalem. But there is one place that we look. Now, to put you in the context of this, in a very brief time, this is after Jesus Christ has died on the cross. And he was buried. And as far as these guys know, he's disappeared. And that's where we are. We don't know anything about being rose again. But they're, they're walking, and look at, uh, look at verse number 13. Luke chapter 24, verse number 13. And it says, Behold, two of them that same day came, uh, went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned and reason, Jesus drew himself, drew near, and went with them, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. They're walking with Jesus Christ, but they don't realize it. And they're walking along the road, and he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? Why are you so upset? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, saying unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass? Where there in these days? And he said unto them, what things? He knew. You know, sometimes God wants you to answer the question. And he said unto them, he knew what they knew, but he wanted them to think about what they knew. And he said unto them, what things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and in all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted, and I hear the resignation in this, said, but we had trusted that it had been he which should have been redeemed of Israel. And beside all this, to this day is the third day these things were done. We hear the third day, man, we jump for joy. And he said, yea, and certain women also of our other company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. 
And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. They have no idea why. They're upset. They've seen Jesus crucified, and now he's no longer in the grave, and they don't understand. And then look what Jesus does. And then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Well, let me add, no, we were expecting him to come back and bring the kingdom back. <laughs> I don't understand this. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, and here's the word of God. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Man, what a Bible study lesson. Amen. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, we're almost there, and we're almost done. Stay with me. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. You imagine, I got long sleeves on. Jesus holds up his arms and breaks that bread. And what do they see? Because it's not here, but it's here. It says, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. They realized it's Jesus. And this is my favorite verse. This is one of my favorite verses because this is what happens. This is the word of God that convicted Josiah and put him on his knees and had him tearing his clothes. It was the word of God that convicted Nehemiah. And it was the word of God that convicted the people that helped Nehemiah to rebuild the wall, right? We can't bring conviction on people. It's the Holy Spirit that does it through God's word. When you start to tell someone about Jesus and you're trying to tell them outside the Bible, other than the way that we learned last summer, it, it just, and that's using God's word, God's commandments. If you're trying to, well, you know, it just make your life better. It just do You're getting outside of God. You're losing the power that God has given you. And verse 32 here, it says, and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures. Amen. Did not our heart burn within us? Second Corinthians chapter number seven. You don't have to go there. But uh, Paul says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know, when God hurts your feelings, it's there for you to Learn from what he's telling you. There's a reason. Lord, why are you showing me this? And Lord, what do you want me to do? And then there's a willingness to do it. So that's what I wanted to share with you guys when I thought about godly sorrow and I thought about Josiah and I thought about Solomon and that temple and that prayer and I thought about Nehemiah turning back to that temple and that prayer and the people hearing God's word. And those fellas on the road to Emmaus saying, did not our heart burn within us? If you'll stand...